Well, hello, everybody. How are you? Doing well? Yay! Well, my name is Katie, and I am so grateful to be here with you today. I have the privilege of finishing out a series that David started last weekend about the greatest commandment. He talked last week about loving God with all our heart and our soul and our minds. Tonight, I'm going to talk to you about loving your neighbor, a love for people, and I am so grateful to get to do that. But before we dive in, because I'm a little more winded than my husband, I want to first just welcome everybody here. We are one church in multiple locations. So to everybody at RCMU and East Location and West Location, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to share with you what God has been unfolding in my heart for quite some time, uh, and I believe what he's calling our church to do, so I'm thrilled. So as I was thinking about how to communicate a love for people, where do we even begin, I actually went really quickly to right when David and I moved here. He shared last weekend that this month is our nine-year anniversary of being in Rapid City, and when we, we're so pumped, yay! Um, when we first moved here, we were kind of terrified, though, because we had lived in our last town for quite some time, and if you've ever moved to a new place, you don't really know that many people you don't really know where things are. And so we did what I hope everybody does when they move to the Black Hills. We went and explored. We ate at the firehouse. We went to Custer State Park where I decided I will someday own a buffalo and hopefully even get to live there. I'm not sure if that's gonna work out. I don't know if that's legal, but um, Custer State Park. We went to Storybook Island. We went to Sugar Shack. We actually tried to go there several times, but we found it once, and that was amazing. Um, we apparently did not find the right directions. Um, we also, because I was nine months pregnant when we moved here, figured out how to get to the hospital from every corner of the area. Wherever we were, we, we went to the hospital just to, just to test it. It ended up working out just fine. Uh, but as we, as we were learning about this new town that we were quickly falling in love with, we heard something that really stopped us in our tracks and broke our hearts. It was that every year, there were groups of people, not only from across the country, but from around the world, that were taking time from work and financial resources. They were saving up money to come to our town to serve and to meet needs, to build houses. And it broke our hearts because David and I had been on similar trips all over the country and all over the world, but never had we lived in a place that was a destination for those kinds of trips. And it convicted us because we had to process, were we, were we gonna be members of this community that, that were willing to steward resources and time to sacrifice and help people in need? There were people that were strangers from all over the country and all over the world doing it. What were we going to do about it? And so, that started a series of, I would say, desperate prayers and broken-hearted prayers, but God unfolded for us not just what we could do personally, but as a church what we could do, and that's when Love Week was really born. It started in 2010, and the heartbeat of it is really to connect people within our church family with one another, with a community that is in need of people who see and care about their community, and also to connect us deeper to God as we started doing the things he asked us to do, not just knowing the word, but doing what it says. There are projects that we do on project sites. I wanted to share a couple of them with you because I think it's just easier when I tell you stories as opposed to giving you a drop-down list. Uh, one of the things that we do is every time we have adults 
with a serving opportunity, we always want to include children and families. David and I have three kids, 13, eight, and four, and we know that even our four-year-old, most of the time, when he's in a really good mood, we, we want him to know that he can show people Jesus. He can serve people and show kindness to people. And so we, we integrate kid-friendly activities. My favorite last year, well, we make dog treats. That was really exciting and messy. But one of the things that we do is called a Random Acts of Kindness Day. And we sent all of these families and kids into downtown Rapid City with their red shirts and smiles on with a list of different things that they could do to just show kindness. We put quarters in meters, which was a really big deal apparently if you work downtown. I don't know. Yes, okay. Uh, the other thing that we did was on the list, it was you could go buy flowers and give flowers to a random stranger, which made everybody's day. We gave iced coffees to those meter readers who we had given a break to because we had just filled all of the meters. So they got to enjoy a nice iced coffee. And we brought cookies into businesses just to give to employees who were working hard. It was so much fun. And what's so beautiful about it is that for a lot of people, we walk around downtown and go shopping and mark things off of a list. But to be intentional and focused on just seeing other people in the midst of our daily life was a really powerful thing for a lot of those families, so much so that they're continuing to do those acts of kindness throughout the year. It's just really powerful when you think about doing something intentionally. The next story I want to share is about a friend of mine named Daisy. We got connected with Daisy through a local nonprofit. She needed her yard mowed. That was all that we knew. So, just like with every project we do during Love Week, we went to her house and did what we call a site visit. We go take a look at what needs to be done and figure out how we can be a part of that. We realized quickly that Daisy needed far more than just a yard mode. We learned that she was, had some mobility issues. She, was on a, she had a walker, and there wasn't a lot of space for her to get out of her house and down to her driveway if someone would come and pick her up for a doctor's appointment. We also realized that she was really lonely. She just needed a friend, somebody to talk to. Her husband had died a few years before, and her kids were adults and grown and moved out. They were, they were, they're nowhere near Rapid City. And so she just needed some friends. So what started out as a one-week or a one-day yard project ended up being an entire week long of just connecting with Daisy, hearing stories. She was a teacher for many years, which was very exciting to hear all of the things she had to say but she had grown up in Rapid City. She loves Rapid City. And that team that was there serving with her and for her are still connected to her. And it's just a really powerful thing. I think that loving our city, the city that we're in, the place that we're at, is not new. I'm gonna share with you uh, today about some things that the Bible tells us that I think just really reflect God's heart for his people where he's put them. We're going to start in Jeremiah 29, and I need to give you a little bit of context. So Jeremiah 29 is taking place in the 6th century BC, and the Israelites, who are God's people, have been taken captive, and they are in exile in Babylon. Babylon is not a place for, um, that's known for really loving the Lord and doing things God's way, and so uh, they are definitely overwhelmed and afraid. They are hearing three distinct messages about what they should do in this new home of theirs. And I'm gonna give you the first one. The Babylonians are telling the Israelites, all city, no God. Come into, our new, uh, come into this new city of yours and become one of us. Assimilate, be like us. 
which would include no, not, not having a God with you because that, that's not how they lived. So the Babylonians are saying, all city, no God. Come in, assimilate, become one of us, leave your faith at the gate. The second message that they're hearing is from false prophets, their own people saying, all God, no city. Don't go into the city. Stay outside of it and keep your faith. Maintain your faith. Don't go in and just be ruined by these people that don't believe in our God. So they're hearing that from false prophets. I'm going to share with you the third, but I want to, I want to um, read some scripture first because God, through his prophet Jeremiah, gives a third thing that, that the Israelites are hearing they should do. So Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. A very distinct message that is far different from the others that they're hearing. What God is saying is you can have me and you can love the city. So this place that you're in, you can be a part of it and you can keep me. And I love how this as opposed to the other two, just breathes life and hope and love, which we know is God's heart. So God is saying, you can have me and you can have the city. Specifically, he gives them four ways to do that. The first is to settle down. He tells them to build houses and plant gardens. They're gonna be there for a while. And if they're anything like me, it takes me a few years of trying to actually get things to grow. So he's telling them to settle down, make a home, you're gonna be here for a while. The second thing he says is to populate the city, which sounds very exciting, right? Okay, have kids. Um, he sp specifically says, marry and have children. Your children will marry and have children. And so there are three generations that he's talking about. Make this place your home. I think a city or a community changes for people when they have children, right? Because then you've got to go find out where the parks are. You've got to learn about the schools. There's a lot of things that happen when you become a family in a place. The next is seek the peace and prosperity of the city. That's powerful for me because I know the peace that he's talking about is his peace. He wants his best for the people there and he wants the Israelites to want the best for the people there. The last thing he says is to pray. Pray for this city. I don't know how many of you do that for Rapid City, but something really powerful happens when you commit to pray for a person or for a place. It's amazing what God unfolds in our hearts. I would contend that based on what we just read, if we have a city, we have a responsibility. And, and I take that very personally. I put the you in there for that very reason. If you have a city, you have a responsibility. I should note, by the way, that I am not trying to infer that Rapid City is a place of exile. Um, I'm pulling the two together, but I need you to know that in no way am I trying to say that we are in exile for some reason in Rapid City. But I will tell you that scripture is very clear that this world is our temporary home. 
And so if you can read it through that lens, God is calling us into the place that he's put us, and it's so powerful when we, when we hold on to that and learn about that. So if you have a city, you have a responsibility. I think that God really values and understands the power of a city. He sent disciples and prophets to cities to reach the people there for him, no matter how far away they were from him. He longed to have them know who he was, and he sent people there. He committed people to go to share his love with them. So it's really powerful. Uh, Cities, historically, were created to be places of really good things. I want to share with you a few of them. There are so many. I used to be a history teacher, so I could literally talk until next. I won't. I could talk forever about it. But I pulled four specific things that cities can be and do, what they were intended to be. The first is a refuge. Cities, in their beginnings, were a place where often marginalized people could find safety and protection. Children, women, minorities. It was a place where they could belong and be safe and be valued. The second is justice. Outside of a city walls, it was every man for himself. There was no protection. There, were, there was no legal protection. There was no safety, no laws. But within the context of a city, within the walls of a city, they were safe. Culture and development is another one. Cities were melting pots. They were intended to be a place where people that were not like each other could be together and learn from each other. Innovation would happen. Creativity would just go through the roof because people from so many different cultures and experiences would come together at a place. The last and most important is faith. Ancient cities especially were known from whatever tower was the highest in that city, communicated to the people inside but also outside who they looked to for faith and spiritual things. It was who they looked to for significance. So faith was a huge part of the city. But I think that we would all agree that cities today don't often reflect these things. And it's heartbreaking. But God wants us to help restore people and cities to look more like him. I want to share with you a few things about Rapid City because there are amazing things going on in Rapid City right now. Things that in our nine years here we have never seen before that are so exciting. But there are also some really hard things happening here. And I want to share with you what those are because I believe that God wants to use us to impact these things for his glory. The first is homelessness. In a study just last month, 650 Rapid City area school district students were identified as being homeless in our community. This is here. Out of the 121 residents of Cornerstone Rescue Mission who sleep there each night, 25% of them are US veterans. It's heartbreaking to hear those numbers. Next is food insecurity, and this is defined, it's kind of a new term, I think, for a lot of people. It's essentially defined as an uncertainty about where your next nutritious meal is coming from. That's food insecurity. 5,000 meals are estimated to be missed a day in Rapid City. That's people of all ages, not just children. 5,000 meals a day are missed in Rapid City. That's a meal that somebody goes hungry for that doesn't have it. There are a lot of things that are causing that. Some of it is a lack of access because of poor transportation. Some of it is a lack of money. Some of it is kids being at home and parents being at work and having no access that way. Um, Food insecurity is a huge, huge thing that is very concerning in our community right now. The last is children in need. 
There are 321 kids in foster care right now in Pennington County. About 20% of referrals have to go out of this place because we don't have enough host homes for children in need. That means that we have case managers in our very own church. They come to Fountain Springs. They are Fountain Springers who are case managers who are driving kids to Aberdeen and to Pier and to Sioux Falls and to Chamberlain every single week because Rapid City and Pennington County don't have enough foster families to provide homes for these children that don't have a place to go. It's heartbreaking. And I don't know if you knew those things about your home. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you knew them. I didn't know all of them and it broke my heart. What can we do? What is our role in restoring the people and the cities that we're a part of? And God just really pressed in my heart something and I wanna share it with you. And I made it really personal. I worded it in a way that was personal because I wanna take it personally and own it, but I want you to also. If you neglect where you are, you miss why God has you there. If you neglect where you are, you miss why God has you there. I think sometimes if you've ever driven home from work or from school and you pull into your driveway and you have that terrifying thought that you actually don't remember anything about the drive home, have you ever done that? I actually do it more often than I might like to admit. But you get home and you go, I, was I singing the whole time? Like, how did I not even pay attention to what was going on? I think a lot of times, unintentionally, we become so numb to the things around us because we see it every day. If you've ever been on a mission trip to a place in a different country or in a different city, it's like everything is fresh and right in front of you and it matters so deeply. All of that exists here and God is pleading with us to be a part of our own communities but sometimes we just get blinders on. And so as I processed this, if you neglect where you are, you miss why God has you there, I started praying and going, how do we make an impact? How do we come together and do anything that could be of any help? And I came to a story in Mark that I wanna share with you today. Um, it's in Mark 14, and I'm gonna read it and kind of process with you along the way. While he was in Bethany, Reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. So he, in these verses, is Jesus. He's reclining at a table. He's having dinner. And a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Now, when you, you read the word nard, I used to be a middle school teacher, and I think of, like, that's a name that kids used to call each other to, you know, really, really get to them. Uh, nard actually means uh, it's a very expensive route from India. It, it's very expensive. And so for somebody to have it in that community in Bethany, that would, that would be very significant. And it was likely that that perfume would have been being saved for preparation for burial, either for this woman or someone that was very close to her. And so the gift of, of pouring the perfume on Jesus' head is very significant because it's an act of complete generosity and humility. And I just want us to, I want you to process that before we go on. 
Next, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. So some of those present would, would have included religious leaders and teachers of the law. It also included Judas, who was a disciple of Jesus. They're saying indignantly, I just, Jesus, you know that Jesus, he hears everything. And it's so powerful to me that he's listening to them basically say, he's not worth it. Why would you, why would you share this? Why would you give this to him? He's not worthy of it, is essentially what they're saying. And Jesus hears them and has a response. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want. He is calling them out, isn't he? But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And I have to tell you, the first time that I read this, what was so powerful to me about the physical response to God's love for us is that he said in verse 9, anytime the gospel is preached, this story will be told in her memory. And my first thought was, I want to be like her. I want to be like that. I want to be somebody that when, when I, people think of me, they think of, they think of Jesus. They think of this. The second thing, though, I went back to was in verse 14.8, and it was she did what she could. In the midst of being criticized and ostracized, it's likely that she was not even invited to that dinner. In this, in this book of the Bible, she's not named. In other, there's, there's some different theories on who she is, but um, in Mark, she's not named, and it's likely that she came in and went straight to Jesus, being criticized. She did it anyway. She did it anyway, and she did what she could. She took what she had. In the Greek, this literally translates into what the power of what she had in her hands to do, she did. She took what she had and she did something with it. That's what this means. And Jesus specifically says that in his response to those that were criticizing. And so today I just wanna to talk to you a little bit about what's in our hands as we process how to take our love for God and our understanding of who he is and bring it to people and to help people see him and know who he is. I wanna talk a little bit about what's in our hands. And because Love Week is starting this weekend, I wanna make sure to integrate those things because for many of you, that might be your first step. So the first thing is our time. We have people for Love Week that are serving one hour during the week. Some are coming in really quick to donate blood and then they're going back to work. Some are taking a whole hour off. Some might take a day off. We have a lot of people that end up taking their whole week off for vacation to serve with us. We actually have a Fountain Springs couple who lives in California, but flies in every single year for Love Week. They were here um, earlier and it was just so great to see them. But time, what kind of time do you have? What's in your hands? What can you offer to connect with people in our community? The next one is talent. This one is exciting because I, I, um, I learn a lot during Love Week. I learn that I should probably not paint, um, but that I have other skills, and that's good. So during Love Week this year, I just wanna give you some information about what we're doing. During Love Week this year, we are going to be building a house 
with Habitat. We're going to be putting flooring in for a nonprofit in town that probably has not had flooring in since maybe the 30s or the 40s. We are going to be painting and creating just good, good spaces for organizations that are supporting people walking out of addiction. We're building beds for children in our community who do not have beds. We are building beds for a transitional living community for people that are coming out of jail and going into these places that will help them walk back into life and, and be able to just have, have, a, have a hand up. We're remodeling teacher lounges. We're gonna clean up some playgrounds in schools. We're gonna sit with people that just need somebody to talk to. That's what I like to do, I'm really good at talking, so I like to do that. Uh, talent, what has God gifted you with? What has God empowered you to do that, it, that you could offer to him? to show people who he is, to show people that they matter. What's in your hands? The last is treasure. I think we call it this because we often treat it like it's our treasure. Um, something that impacted me that I learned this week that, is that we have, we have fountain springers at RCMU who are not able to serve with us during Love Week, but they are tithing and giving generously so that they can be a part of it. Love Week takes time and it takes talent, but it also costs money. So maybe that's a way that you can step in and offer what you've got and God can do amazing things with it. What's in your hands? What's so powerful about that story with the woman and the nard <laughs> is that, is that she, she was choosing to live the way that Jesus lived. She was showing him love that he had been teaching. He had a disciple in that room with him and that disciple criticized. That disciple did not love, but she did. She offered generosity the way that Jesus offered generosity. And so when we talk about how, when, when Jesus said that when, when stories are told, this story will be told in memory of her, I don't think it's because of what she did. I, when I read that, I think of she was doing what Jesus did, and that's what we want to remember. And so I want to ask it in this way. When people think of you, do they remember Jesus? Are you living in a way that is reflecting God's heart? Love Week is one week. At Fountain Springs Church, we believe that people matter all year long, and we are stepping into our community and doing big things globally to show people who he is. And you're gonna be hearing more and more about that in the coming weeks and months. Love Week is really an opportunity for us to link arms together though, and to step in our community together and commit to showing people Jesus, however big or however small. We're gonna be skirting um, a gal's trailer, just putting new skirting on it. I'm gonna be planting flowers while they're doing that and cheering them on. We have people replacing doors. We have people holding kids just so that their parents can go serve. We're trying to breathe life into a community that is hurting to make sure that we do not miss the things going on around us and get lost in our own story. We wanna commit. And every year during Love Week, it's so powerful because our heart is really to recommit not only ourselves, but this church this body of believers commit to say, we know that we're here for a reason and we wanna show people who Jesus is 
And so we're going to do it. And when we do it together, I think it's better. Um, something just to process is, uh, it, it shared it in that scripture in Mark. But the woman, Jesus said, tells us that she was preparing him for burial. Do you know that she, she likely didn't know that? That, that? that was so significant because she was literally preparing him for burial and didn't even know it. She was giving him dignity that would soon be stripped from him at the crucifixion. She was giving him honor when no one, no one around him was. She took what she had and it was so beautiful. And I think God has given each and every one of us something that we can offer to show people that they matter and that we see them and that God is so good and he loves them so much. Let me pray with you. Father, I just thank you so much for the love that you give us. I thank you for this church family, God. I thank you that you are at work in the hearts and the lives of people in our community and that you invite us to be a part of the good work that you're doing. God, I pray that this week would not be a one and done. God, I pray that people would continue to seek your heart for this city that we are a part of and this world that we are a part of, God. God, I pray for revival in the hearts of people that need it. God, I pray that you would just help us to get out of your way and do good things in your name. God, we know that when we are doing your work in our city, you are doing a work in our hearts. And I thank you for that. We love you and we commit this time to you. God, whatever is in our hands, I pray that you would help us to lift it up and to offer it. God, if that's our time, Help us to reorder our lives so that we can make you a priority. We can make serving you and serving people a priority. God, if it's a talent that we have, I pray that you would just give us confidence through you that we can use it to be a blessing. God, if it's treasure, I pray that you would take our hands off of it and give it over to you for your work and for your glory. God, thank you for what you're going to do during Love Week. Thank you for what you've already done. And help it to not be just one week, God. Help this to be the beginning of eyes opened and hearts ready to not just know your word, but to do what it says and to partner with people in our community and in our church and with you, God, to do great things in your name. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name.